we underestimated how big of a technical problem this thing was to solve. Having to write our own domain-specific language to replace Selenium, having to make this really, really easy to use so anyone without a coding degree can use it, uh, but also flexible enough that developers can use it, was a really hard technical problem. We really had to dig deep, you know, spend long hours in the early days making sure things weren't flaky and and perfect the ease of use with, with great UX. And a lot of companies in our space get stuck, and we call it kind of the moat. You kind of go into the moat thinking it's going to be really easy to do this, but you oftentimes don't come out. My name is Izzy Azari, co-founder of Mabel. This is Code Story, the podcast bringing you interviews with tech visionaries who share in the critical moments of what it takes to change an industry and build and lead a team that has your back. I'm your host, Noah Lapart. And today, how Izzy Azari built a platform for functional test automation to create reliable end-to-end tests. All this and more on Code Story. Izzy Azari has been in the tech industry for 20 years, starting out at places like EMC and VMware. He's married with three kids living in Franklin, Massachusetts, outside of Boston. He loves soccer and CrossFit, which helps him de-stress from his tech work. The family has a place in Maine where they can be outside, swim, etc., whatever they can do to keep active and stay healthy. Post the Google acquisition of his prior startup, Stackdriver, Izzy and his co-founder were looking to get back into early stage. After interviewing a number of engineering leaders, they noticed a trend. While software development was speeding up, QA was becoming a bottleneck in the SDLC. This is the creation story of Mabel. So Mabel is a SaaS application that is a platform for quality engineering. And what that means is we help software development teams with ensuring their applications are of the highest quality so their customers aren't experiencing bugs or issues and, and things like that. Started the company about five years ago now. You know, I haven't been in the QA space or uh, haven't really been a developer myself, but um, have a passion for helping software development teams with improving their lives. And this is one of the, one of the products we developed to go do that. I have a co-founder, Dan Belcher. The two of us have been working together, I guess, for about a decade now across multiple different companies. But we originally got started early stage back in 2012 when we started a company called Stackdriver from scratch. And Stackdriver was another SaaS application, but it was designed for the production environment and helping DevOps teams understand if their applications were performing or not, and if they weren't, what was causing that. And it was designed for applications running in AWS, and so it became very, very quickly popular amongst that that group of customers. Luckily, we were actually acquired by Google. Dan and I spent time at Google for a couple of years and making sure Google was integrating Stackdriver into their platform, into GCP. But we always said we wanted to do something early stage again. We left Google in 2017, raised a $10 million Series A led by CRV, and then we basically um, hired a a small group of engineers, uh, five or six engineers, folks with full stack experience, um, and also a couple of engineers that had machine learning skill sets. And we just went out on research projects. So we went and called all of our old Stackdriver customers and, and hundreds of VPs of engineering and CTOs and just said, what's happening in your software development lifecycle? They kept talking about their development teams moving faster and faster. 
Their teams were adopting new CI tools like CircleCI or GitLab and, you know, going from shipping features maybe once a day or, you know, once every couple of weeks to multiple times a day. And so that was a concept that we had heard about, you know, this thing around DevOps. And then when we dug a little deeper, we said, well, what's the pain now? Like, do you have any challenges? And everyone kept talking about this notion of QA being a bottleneck. And so that was the first insight that we saw, which was like this, this market that we thought, you know, was solved was actually not. There's, there's pain around QA. As we dug a little deeper, the pain specifically was that these software development teams had QA organizations that didn't have the modern tool set that the developers did. You know, whereas developers are using things like Slack and, and GitLab and GitHub and Circle and these other tools, QA was still using decades-old products to solve their challenges. And specifically, they were using a product called Selenium, which was an open-source solution developed about you know 20 years ago. So that was kind of like the second inclination we got, which is, wow, there's really old technology in this QA space. Maybe we should do something about that. Tell me about the MVP, so that first product you built. How, how long did it take you to build, and what sort of tools did you use to bring it to life? The first thing we built was what we called the Mabel Trainer. And it was just a, it's a Chrome extension, just like any other Chrome extension, which allowed you to basically record tests in a low-code method. And that, you know, we probably got out the door in about three months or so. And then what we had to do was allow developers and, and software engineers and, and QA people to actually create these robust tests in a low-code fashion. And that's kind of where, you know, we started to dive deeper into building our own domain-specific language, our own framework to replace what a lot of people were using in Selenium. So with any MVP, you have to make certain decisions and trade-offs, right? And you're kind of alluding to some of those. Tell me about those decisions and trade-offs around, you know, feature cut, technical debt, you know, you mentioning Selenium and comparison there and, and how you cope with those decisions in the short term. The first decision we had to make was, uh, so Mabel's testing web applications to make sure they work just as a user would test them. And the first decision we had to make was, okay, which browser should we be able to test in? And Selenium you can use on really any browser, Safari, IE, Chrome, Firefox. And so the first decision, decision we made was, let's go with, with Chrome. Because we built this Chrome extension, let's start testing web applications in Chrome, especially given Chrome's presence from a browser perspective. That's not to say that we wouldn't support other browsers in the future, but like that was the initial browser we decided to, to support. The second thing was, are we gonna allow people to actually inject scripts or code into their tests or will this all be low code from the get-go? So the second decision was, let's go completely low code. You know, our target audience were manual testers and automation engineers. Let's enable them to do stuff without writing any scripts as possible to make it way easier than the lives uh, that they had at the time, which was using Selenium. Okay, so you got your MVP. So from that point, how did you progress the product? How did you mature it? And I think what, you know, to wrap that in a box, what I'm really curious about is how you built your roadmap and how you decided, okay, how you went about deciding this is the next most important thing to build. One of the biggest things we knew we had to build was how is this going to make people's lives better and easier? And the biggest thing we heard from, from our early alpha and beta users was, I'm spending so much time fixing broken tests as opposed to adding value and adding test coverage. So we developed this technology called auto-healing. And what this did was, whereas when people would spend time fixing broken tests, Mabel is automatically able to understand that a test could potentially break and would fix it automatically within the Mabel platform. 
So this saved people a ton of time and a ton of pain that they had today or at the, at the time. And that's probably the biggest benefit that our customers saw early on, which is, wow, you solved this thing that I never knew uh, could even be done. And that was purely based on our customer feedback. So then let's switch to team. So how did you go about building your team? And what did you look for in those people to indicate that they were the winning horses to join you? We've got somewhat of a unique view on culture, especially as it relates to team. We don't uh, have titles per se at Mabel. When we're hiring, when we're interviewing for folks, if they want to be a chief architect or a CTO or a VP or something like that, they're probably not the best fit for us, even to this day. But in the early days, we're looking for folks who um, want to solve a hard, challenging problem and want to build a really successful company. And we know if we're able to do those things together, that you know, employees will have lots of opportunities to grow and flourish and be successful. And so those are the, the, the specific kind of characteristics, personality-wise, we were looking for. On the tech side, we, in the early days, uh, were looking for full-stack engineers. So people willing to write front-end code, uh, build you know, data pipelines, uh, build you know, kind of API-level components as well. And then we knew we were going to invest uh, in machine learning capabilities. So we were looking for those specific skill sets from an engineering perspective as well. Even from the early days to now, how are you maintaining your team culture? Because I hear you saying you, you took a unique perspective and the titles, you know, you don't do the title thing. What, how are you maintaining that as you grow uh, the company? I think culture is an area where you need to continue to focus and reinforce day in and day out. So our culture starts at our core values, which are uh, drive, insight, supportive, and authenticity. And we interview for those values. So we look for folks who support those values. They'll come in and, and kind of embrace that culture and drive that culture to be even more successful. We also have a program where we actually give kudos or credit when people demonstrate different values of our structure. And so that's another way that we reinforce, you know, the, the strong kind of ties that we've built. Clearly during COVID, you know, it was difficult. I think we hired 30 to 40 people throughout that two-year timeline. And so one of the things we did last year to kind of reinforce culture was actually to bring everyone together in person. And we actually went to Portland, Maine uh, for a couple of days. And that was a great way to reconnect with people, meet folks you had never met face-to-face -face except for, you know, over Zoom, um, and a great way to kind of reinforce and, and build culture. So let's flip to scalability then. So did you build this to scale efficiently from day one, or were you fighting this as you grew and gained traction? When we first got going, we basically allowed the developers to decide which cloud platform we would build on. And they looked at AWS, Azure, GCP, and we ultimately decided on GCP because it had the best data pipelines and machine learning capabilities that, that we would need to support. And so from day one, we built the platform to scale. So we process millions of data points every single day around these tests that we're running. We're calculating things like performance of the tests, the visual changes that are happening, obviously if things are passing or failing. And so all of these get put into a data pipeline and observations are happening real time to get insights back to the users. And so we're lucky enough that we developed this early on and it's been, you know, we're now at hundreds of customers, millions of data points and it's still, still no issues. You know, I'm going to take a little different approach with my scalability question because I'm fascinated by the auto healing portion of your product. If you're looking at one of your clients and you're, you're pitching auto healing, how does auto healing help 
that client scale. So I'll give you a real life example here. Charles Schwab was using uh, Selenium previously to Mabel. They switched from Selenium to Mabel because they were spending so much time on these on these broken tests. And so what Mabel is able to do now is with every run of every test, it takes basically an observation of all of the different elements that a test is interacting with on the on the page. And anytime any one of those changes, it basically keeps a history of those changes. And anytime one of those changes would break a test, it uses the other locators we collect, which is like 35 different locators for every step of every test, to find out what changed and to find the new button and to rerun the test and make it successful. That process of fixing a test takes seconds for us, but takes about 80% of the time of a QA engineer on a day-to-day basis. So you can just see the massive amounts of time that Charles Schwab is now saving by moving from Selenium to Mabel in terms of not having to maintain all these broken tests by this innovative technology we developed called auto-healing. Well, Izzy, as you step out on the balcony and you look across all that you've built, what are you most proud of? The first one is the team. We, I think, have hired and and grown and and supported just an incredibly diverse and talented team. And so I think the first thing probably most proud of is, is the team we have built so far. The second one is from the early days, we've had innovative enterprise clients come on board with us and grow with us. Companies like Charles Schwab, JetBlue, NCR. So it's just super thrilled about the enterprise client base we were able to build early on and, and you know continue to see scale. Third thing I'd say is from day one, we knew that we wanted to build a platform for quality engineering. And we've kind of uh, gone through with that with that vision. So we went from UI testing to mobile web testing to API testing and accessibility testings in beta. So I'm proud that we we're able to kind of hold that vision and hold ourselves you know, accountable for, um, for what we said we do to the investors early on. Well, let's flip the script a little bit. Tell me about a mistake you made and how you and your team responded to it. Yeah, there's been, you know... It hasn't been a joyride all the way, right? There's been uh, <laughs> lots of challenges along the way. I, I guess one of the first mistakes was we underestimated how big of a technical problem this thing was to solve. Having to write our own domain-specific language to replace Selenium, having to make this really, really easy to use so anyone without a coding degree can use it, uh, but also flexible enough that developers can use it, was a really hard technical problem. We really had to dig deep you know, spend long hours in the early days making sure things weren't flaky and and perfect the ease of use with with great UX. It just honestly took a lot of time and, and a lot of companies in our space get stuck and we call it kind of the moat. You kind of go into the moat thinking it's going to be really easy to do this, but you oftentimes don't come out. And so we're just really happy we came out of that moat, but it took a lot longer and it took a lot more money, quite frankly, than we originally expected. We spent a lot of time iterating on what the right model should be for this product. Originally, we said it's going to be a completely kind of salesless motion. It's going to be product-led. People are going to try it like Jira and use it and buy it. In fact, we started with e-commerce to start off. But what we realized was these enterprise clients, they want a hands-on proof of concept. They really want to get deep into the into the product and technology. And so we've gone from kind of this product-led e-commerce model to now, you know, very experienced salespeople and, and technical engineers to help customers along that journey and to make sure they're successful on the enterprise side. So what does the future look like for Mabel, the product, and for your team? 
Yeah, there's a couple of things that we're looking at right now. So the first one is continuing to expand our value proposition beyond purely functional testing. So we're looking at lots of non-functional test features or, or, or kind of capabilities. First one being accessibility, right? Is my web application accessible to people with disabilities? Another one is around uh, performance and load, right? Not only is my application working, but is it working under distress or, or full load of, of lots of users? On the team side, we continue to expand geographically. So you will see us double down in the Japan market, which has been a great market for us, and then also expand um, into Europe. Lastly, we started an initiative around diversity, equity, and inclusion, I'd say about two years ago now. And it was just this small kind of team of folks on an ad hoc basis meeting once a month to see what we can do to improve our stance on DEI. And you know, this year now we have 12 people across the company participating. We have budget dollars assigned to training initiatives, to hiring, to education. And so that'll be a continued focus and investment area, quite frankly, for us. Let's switch to you, Izzy. So who influences the way that you work? Name a person you look up to, or many persons, and, and why. One person I really, really have looked up to has influenced me personally is Diane Green. She was the founder and CEO of VMware. And I joined VMware back in 2006. We were about 500 people um, and very quickly grew and, and went public and was very successful. But she always had this uh, focus on transparency, which is we shouldn't be hiding anything from anyone at the company. Let's share everything to make sure people have as much information as possible to understand what's happening across the company and to make their lives easier by having the right data to make the right decisions. And so, you know, we try to do the same thing here at Mabel. We share everything except for comp and equity across, you know, the whole company. We even share the board deck every quarter with the whole company in an effort to make sure people are aligned, they have the information they need, they can be uh, self-driven to make the right decisions for their own their own area. And, and Diana's great. I actually worked with her again at, at Google a couple of years ago, and she's just fantastic. So we talked about a mistake earlier, but a little bit different spin. If you could go back to the beginning, what would you do differently? Or where would you consider taking a different approach? I think that we would have moved earlier to an enterprise sales model as opposed to making expecting things to just work from a product-led perspective. I think if we had done a little bit more research in terms of the target customer we were going after, how they wanted to be served, what they were looking for from a vendor, I think it would have made our lives a little bit easier early on. We probably got more traction early on. So last question, Izzy. So you're getting on a plane, and you're sitting next to a young entrepreneur who's built the next big thing. They're jazzed about it. They can't wait to show it off to the world. Can't wait to show it off to you right there on the plane. What advice do you give that person, having gone down this road several times? It's not going to be easy. <laughs> so many entrepreneurs you know, have this really great idea, and they have a clear vision on how they're going to execute on it. They think they completely understand the target user and uh, the pains that they have. But it's hard. It's very difficult. I find that being as in-depth as possible into all of the different scenarios, options, competitors, pricing, landscape, you know, technology. It's just doing your research as much as possible and de-risking as many areas of your project or your, your solution is super important. So what does that mean? If you think you've talked to enough customers, talk to double that because you might get some different perspectives. 
if you think you've you know run enough permutations from a packaging strategy, think about more, right? Think about how you can be different, how you can be a little bit more innovative. I think doing your homework and doing more than you think is enough is really important for you know any early stage entrepreneur to be to be successful. The other thing I'd recommend, and and we've done this here at Mabel, is getting some outside advice from advisors. You know, asking people who have experience doing perhaps what you are exploring to do uh, to come on board and help you as an advisor, whether that's you know meeting once a month or being on call. We have a couple of advisors, one on the technology side I can think of specifically, um, and one on the sales side who's been really, really helpful for us to think through you know, different problems what we're, we're exploring. Uh, both great sets of, of advice, and uh, I really love the go the extra mile one. Well, Izzy, thank you for being on the show today. Thank you for telling the creation story of Mabel. Thanks a lot, Noah. Thanks for having me. And this concludes another chapter of Coat Story. Code Story is hosted and produced by Noah Laphart. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or the podcasting app of your choice. Support the show on patreon.com slash code story for just five to ten bucks a month. And when you get a chance, leave us a review. Both things help us out tremendously. And thanks again for listening. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com, the tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and goals, and the Wondersuite tools will automatically lay out your WordPress website or store in minutes. Seriously. From there, you can customize your design, pick your brand colors and add blocks, no custom theme or coding required. You'll get content suggestions that you can keep or revise. And with Yoast SEO built in, we automatically help you get found in search engines. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins to an AI-powered help bot, our built-in tools make WordPress wonderful for everyone. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. That's bluehost.com slash wondersuite.